Hello, I'm Carmen Canales, Senior Vice President and Chief People and Belonging Officer at Novant Health. Welcome to Talent Talk, a podcast that focuses on leadership strategies for engagement, development, and retention for the modern workforce. In each episode of Talent Talk, I'll interview a different leader about their transformational practices in leading teams in support of our patients and our communities. These conversations will leave you with a few key takeaways and actions you can put into place on your own teams. Our guest today is Dr. David Priest, Senior Vice President of Safety, Quality and Epidemiology at Novant Health. Welcome, Dr. Priest. Thank you, Carmen, excited to be here. Dr. Priest, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to Novant Health and your journey into healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am an infectious diseases physician. I practice clinically in the greater Winston-Salem market. I kind of back as early as high school thought I had some interest in going into medicine. And uh, my first desire was actually to become a pediatrician. And I think I did that just because in high school, if you told girls that you were going to become a pediatrician, they all said, ah, and that's sweet. And uh, isn't it great, right? That's that's the, uh, the the very noble calling I had into medicine was probably just getting dates in high school. But um, thankfully, I got through uh, what can be a difficult pre medical time and all of that. Just kind of stayed on the train. And and the funny thing is, I went into adult infectious diseases, which is almost the opposite end of pediatrics. Um, <laughs> But I, I was really interested actually in oncology for a time and leukemia was actually the, the thing that uh, I did a lot of in training and enjoyed caring for those with leukemia, but I got interested in the infections that they get. Um, and then I got really interested in uh, caring for those with HIV AIDS. And that's who I still love to care for. And they do so well now that it's very, very rewarding. So I, I ended up over in the infectious disease world. I was in private practice for a time in Charlotte. So I've had the privilege of being on, on the medical staff in several hospitals within the Novant Health System, which has really helped me in my current role. Um, and then as an infectious disease physician, I started doing some system work in infection prevention and antimicrobial stewardship. And then that led to my current role as a chief safety and quality officer. Wonderful. Well, that's fascinating. So the past couple of years certainly have been uh, really interesting for all of us, especially people in frontline roles and in leadership roles. And I would say that you have have a little bit of both there. Um, will you tell us about your leadership style and your approach to leadership in general? How has it changed throughout the pandemic, if at all? Yeah, what a great question. So um, I think it has changed. Um, in a lot of ways, I've told people that I, you know, I was in this role just for about a year when the pandemic hit. And so I think in many ways, the pandemic accelerated my leadership journey. And in other ways, it hampered it, right? Because there were things that I just didn't have time to grow into or learn about. And so, you know, in, in some ways, I, you know, people knew who I was now. And it just happened to be that when the pandemic hit, the chief safety and quality officer was an infectious disease doctor. And that worked out for me and I hopefully the organization. But then there were things that I thought I just I didn't get to and probably stunted my, my leadership growth in, in some ways. Fortunately, I had a very veteran team that was in our institute that 
whether it was regulatory or clinical excellence or infection prevention, that those, those leaders were continuing to do what they do and do it very well. And that allowed me to kind of focus on, on a lot of things in the pandemic. So um, I, I do think it's changed in some ways. Probably all along, my leadership approach is, be, is to be low drama. Not Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Uh, I, I want the team to ex- know what to expect from me day to day and what to emotionally as- expect from me. Uh, I don't want them to have to manage me or my mood, right? You, you hear about leaders, they say, oh, is he in a good mood today? Is she is she in a good mood today? Or you know how she is, you know how he is. I, didn't want, I don't want to be like that. I want to be very consistent and approachable. I think one thing we learned from the pandemic as it pertains to leadership is just reiterating the importance of communication. You know, when, when Carl and you, Carmen, and others have been leading these calls, communication is so important. Um, and it, I think it was one of the strengths of the organization through the pandemic. Carl's call was every week and, and people were really pulling together to do the right thing. And so I realized as a leader, communication was um, was super important and very precise communication. You know, we have all we have so much in the way of communication these days, cell phones and computers and tweeting and all this stuff. And yet it becomes very imprecise and and you have to be very specific when you're communicating. So I try to be specific in my communication. Um, you know, a few other little tidbits I use as a leader. One is I try to give credit where credit's due. I have this great fear of taking credit for something that I didn't do. And I want my teams to get credit for what they do. I try to overdo thank yous, you know, thank people publicly. It's a good idea um, and not in a manipulative way, but when they deserve it, you ought to thank them. I tell our teams, you know, try to live like you've got nothing to prove or try to lead like you've got nothing to prove. You know, I think if, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I did all right. Um, you know, and so I don't have to prove anything or climb over anybody or climb up some ladders. And if we all kind of just acted like we didn't have anything else left to prove, that would, I think, really kind of keep the drama low and and, and we, we'd really move in the right direction. And the other thing I've uh, that's changed in the pandemic in terms of my leadership is I'm much more of a cheerleader than I used to be. I didn't consider myself like a sunshine pumper at all. You know, I'm like a child of the late 80s, early 90s, and like the culture was kind of cynical and sarcastic. And I felt a little bit like that. And during the pandemic, things, people were really down. And I I thought, good golly, if I'm the cheerleader now, things must be really bad because I don't think of myself as a positive, we can do this, but I have kind of become one a little bit, which I think is just the circumstances around me changed. And I realized the importance of encouraging others and to get through it. So those are some of the lessons I've learned during the pandemic. How did you do that? How did you make the move to be more of a cheerleader if that's not your natural inclination? Yeah, you know, I think I just realized that it was what the moment called for. You know, and I, I thought if if no one else, I mean, people are just so cynical and pessimistic. And I understand why the world we're in and the politics and the pandemic and just so many challenges so many people are facing at home and at work and, and at school and all the things they're facing. I felt like, you know, it, it just changed my perspective on things. I, I couldn't be that kind of snarky person in the corner. I had to, if I was going to lead people, I was going to have to kind of say, appeal to, hey, there's a lot of positive going on here and we can do this. And so it was kind of a change in mindset that wasn't my natural way of thinking about things. And I listen, I still have a sarcastic quip in my head all the time, but I, I felt like people responded to it. 
I think they were looking, they were looking for somebody to do that and help them and say, we can, we can do this. I know it's hard. We can do it. And frankly, I think it changed because I was just inspired by what people in healthcare were doing. You know, you think about those nurses in the ICU and all that, how hard they worked. And the least I can do is to be a little more positive and, and try to get people to, to move in the right direction. So I think it was all of those things together, probably. Well, you know, what a great story for other leaders to not be set in our ways and to really have an opportunity to be nimble, to employ situational leadership. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Priest, today's theme is thriving through change. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, how have you seen clinical teams thrive uh, amid change, you know, especially given the past couple of years that we've had, what have they done to create momentum and to really use this as an opportunity to thrive? Yeah, and um, I'll say what's one of the remarkable things about Novon, about many things, is how the clinical teams, despite the pandemic, have really kept their eye on the ball and and caring for patients in at a time when healthcare across the country has been really really challenged. If you look at our annual dashboards and our annual goals, you can see what they've done. Not only have they have survived, they have thrived, and which is pretty amazing. I mean, there's just a lot of will that they do that. I think as we try to speak to clinical teams about this this work and keep them positive and moving in the right direction despite the changes, is you know we try to appeal to you know why they went into healthcare. You know most people that went into healthcare did so for the right reasons, and at their core they still want to put the patient first, even when there's chaos and challenges and things that are are really really difficult. And it's because many of them, healthcare is not a job; it's a calling. And so I think when there's a time when things get really hard and they think, can I do this anymore? I think you, we, we appealed to remember this is a calling and we, we really hang our hat on that. You assume the best of people and you assume their motivations are, are good and you appeal to that kind of best motivation. And so I felt like if, if we kept them remembering or kept all of us remembering why we do this and then we support them, then we would still get to where we needed to go. You know, we need to acknowledge problems when they occur. I think it was one of the things about Carl's call and the work that was done in the pandemic, just transparency. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. This is the way it could go. This is the way it might not go. This is why we're making this decision. People didn't always like that. Got some emails and snail mail that people didn't obviously like those decisions. But I think the majority of people felt like we we now see why you're doing this. We have a calling and you seem to be working in good faith to make this better, and you're giving us information, then they could they could say, I think they've got it. We're going to keep doing what we do. Um, I think people in healthcare are very data-driven. I think I think physicians and APPs and nurses, they, they want to, if you show them information in a meaningful way that tells the story, and they will, they'll understand it, and then they will respond. And so I think communication, information, transparency, appealing to what people got into medicine for were all key to keeping us moving and caring for the patients at a time that was unprecedented in in healthcare, at least in the time I've been in it. Well, so you've talked a little bit about the importance of communication uh, frequently and with specificity. What else would you say is important to involving a team in change to making sure that they're a part of the process, even though ultimately you're the leader of a particular group? 
Yeah, these are hard, Carmen. Um, you know, these are really challenging for leaders, right? Um, I think it goes on one level, it does go back to the mission, right? We remind people what the mission is. Let's agree on what the mission is, even if we don't always agree about how the mission is going to be accomplished. And I think in healthcare, it's the constant reminder at the end of this, there's a patient. And we may be having this conversation in a room that's not even in a hospital or a healthcare facility. But down the line, these decisions affect someone in a bed somewhere, in a clinic somewhere. And I think all of us, whether you're non-clinical or even if you're clinical and you're not always in the clinical space, there's this, we're kind of tempted to forget that. Like, this is the family business, right? Novant Health's a family. The family business is patients and healthcare. And so how do we constantly remember that? Um, And so I would say the first thing, if you're going to help people kind of move through tough transitions, it's all right, let's all agree what, what we're in the business of, and that's taking care of patients. And then once you agree kind of on the mission, you have to think about, well, what's the method here? How do we all pull the rope in the same direction? And so, you know, I try to let people work. I, I don't want to be a micromanager. So as a leader, I try to say, this, this is something that's yours. You're, those, those people are often content experts more than I am in that thing. And I try to say, okay, this is, this is yours. You, you do what you want to with it. You get your teams doing you know, the right thing with it. So I don't micromanage them. At the same time, I think you can be too distant, right? So I think it's, you know, if you are so distant, you have no clue what anybody's working on, then I think people often feel kind of alone and don't have support but they also don't want you in their business all the time. So how do you strike the the knowing enough about what's happening everywhere, but not really getting in the way? And so I think when people feel like you're there, but not too much there, then they, they will engage and they will change and they will move forward. So when you have those difficult conversations with people, you tend to be on the same page. Well, so what tips do you have for our listeners today, Dr. Priest? How do you trust but verify? You know, I think it's, again, communication, not only with your direct reports and people in the organization with patients, but I think it's having honest conversations, creating an environment where they feel like they can come to you and say, hey, this is where I'm stuck. I need you to move this or not move it. Hey, what do you think? And giving them a little reason to, you know, a little room, I shouldn't say reason, a little room to to fail or not quite get through it in the right way or learn a lesson and so I think it's it's having those relationships where there's a lot of trust. It's a word we talk about a lot. And I think you have to earn that trust by being reliable and being there. And I think when they, they know they can trust you with it, then I think they, they feel like they're part of the process and they come to you if there's trouble. You know, and again, it can be just a quick text. Hey, I need to let's chat a little later. I got something I'm working on. What do you think? And then letting them do it. So, Dr. Priest, you lead a pretty key area of uh, the system, and so there there isn't much room for error when it comes to safety and quality. Having said that, will you tell us about a failure that you've experienced? How have you moved through it? What have you learned from it? Yeah, so you know, in the in the safety and quality world, we there's some non-negotiables, right? We have a very low tolerance for failure around patient safety, right? It's too important. Um, And so we have to be risk averse in kind of the safety space. Whereas in some other things we do, if we're trying to innovate in a, you know, artificial intelligence product or develop something that's not touching patients yet, we have, we're less risk averse. We're more willing to try something new. 
especially if it doesn't cost a lot of money, right? Let's let's give it a shot, right? And see how it goes. And so, um, and if it doesn't work, we want to we want to fail fast and recognize that quickly and not get too attached to it. I mean, sometimes projects become people get very personal about them. This is my baby, and we all want this to let this go. But sometimes you got to say, look, we're all in this together. These are all our children. Sometimes they don't work, and we have to kind of move on. And every year we fail to some extent. We don't quite get to the quality metric we want to get to. We don't quite get that project in the right way. We don't get this thing off the ground. And I think um, we you have to kind of regroup. Like I said, fail fast, understand what happened, do, did some, do some post-event analysis and work to try to not make that happen again. But I think in most regards, if we keep it simple and meaningful and straightforward and we, give communi- we communicate with people and give them information, we get there. I mean, year after year, we, we, we hit these quality metrics and targets because we're super focused and we pay attention to it every single day. And we know the importance of the organization and more importantly, the importance of the patients. So, you know, that, that's kind of the approach we take. What, what, what you do learn in healthcare is biological systems really do not care at all about your quality metrics or your projects. They really don't care. So bacteria, viruses, they don't care about anything you do in quality, right? And and human behavior is another wild card in all of that. So between biological systems and human behavior, often things go in a direction you weren't expecting. And so you have to have the humility to realize that, that all these things are very hard to anticipate. And sometimes you don't quite get there and you try to do a little better the next time. Great counsel for all of us, Dr. Priest. Research tells us that music uh, can tap into both the right brain and left brain. Will you talk to us a little bit about your relationship with music and how does it feed your work? Yeah, it's funny. You know, our institute a couple of years ago, we had to do we wanted to do a safety and quality symposium and we did it on Zoom. Unfortunately, it was in 2020, the height of the pandemic, and the theme was music. And we tried to make it a little lighter because, you know, so much serious stuff was going on. And so we had people come and they were dressed up like their favorite music stars or wore their favorite concert T-shirt. Or And I gave actually a talk that was month by month what happened in 2020 as it relates to the pandemic. And I picked a theme song for that month and I would play the song. We'd kind of do a name that tune kind of thing. And then I would reveal it. And so... I think my team knows it's pretty obvious that music plays a pretty important part in my life and both listening to it and attempting to play it. What do you um, play? What do you attempt to play? Well, guitar and bass and mandolin, generally stringed instruments. There's a piano in my house I noodle with a little bit, but my I, my daughter is the real the real talent. I'm I'm kind of a just a stubborn enough guy to keep messing with it kind of person. You know, as far as listening goes, music's very soothing to me. So I have vinyl records. So on a Friday night, it's been a whole week. I I will sit in my living room. Vinyl's very popular now. You know, it's the number one application that's that's not streaming right now. If you're buying something physical, vinyl's number one. It's kind of amazing. But I will sit in my living room, maybe with a adult beverage, and put on records and stare out the window. And after a hard week, and that's, that's very soothing to me. You know, I listen in my car and sometimes I use music maybe to understand my own emotions, right? Elation or melancholy or anger. If it's been a bad day, I put some blues on. It's been a better week. I put some jazz on. If I'm angry, I'll put a hard rock record on. Um, And, you know, lyrics are also very important to me. Like some people listen to music and they have no clue what the lyrics are. 
(laughs) But I'm not one of those people, like something very meaningful or a set of words will come through. It's like poetry in a way that kind of actually will move me and I repeat and think about. And so it's funny, it's the way my brain works is sometimes someone will say something and I realize it's a lyric from a song and immediately that song starts in my head or I'll start singing it to my wife and she'll get very annoyed that, that I, oh, I just, my brain ties words into music pretty pretty easily. Doesn't everybody think in lyrics? I, I do. I don't know how anybody lives without it. But um, so in, ter- in terms of playing it, you know, I think sometimes, sometimes people think that people that go into sciences or healthcare or, or whatever aren't creative. But a lot of physicians and scientists are very creative. And you can almost approach music like a math problem. People with math brains sometimes are very good at music. So I don't have a lot of musical talent per se, but like I said, I'm just stubborn enough to stick with it. And I'll, I'll tell you, I shouldn't be quitting my day job as far as that goes. Please don't. Please don't. Do you have a favorite artist? I have a lot. And I listen to a lot of genres. Um, jazz on vinyl is so good. Um, there's something about the pops and the, especially a live jazz album, but I love you too. Um, I had the opportunity to be a, a guest uh, um, kind of DJ on their Sirius XM channel in 2020 during the pandemic, which was a real thrill for me. But I love all genres and and have records from, from many different groups. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us, David. And then lastly, what tips do you have on, on leadership? If you could leave our listeners with a few key things to think about, whether they're a new leader or a have been doing this for some time. Any uh, pro tips on leadership? I think low drama, like we talked about before, is a really important piece of it. And just day after day, they know what to expect. And, you, and you're very consistent, even if you don't feel consistent in your own mind or your own heart, or you're not sure quite what to do. I don't mean to put on a false facade. You want to show vulnerability to your teams and, and they want to be able to see that. But at the same time, you know, I think taking a deep breath and not getting too high or too low is really important. And I do think that idea of leading and living like you've got nothing to prove is a hard thing to do. Look, we all have egos. We all want to be recognized. I like awards as much as the next person, but at the end of the day, those awards aren't going to mean a whole lot, right? Your teams will remember how you treated them, not that you won awards. And so again, I'm not saying don't give me awards. They're great, but they're very fleeting, right? Um, Speaking of music, you know, I, I, I told somebody on my team this the other day, awards are great. People need to be recognized. I understand that. But I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's a music video Johnny Cash put out a number of years ago for a song called Hurt. And the Hurt song was originally done by Nine Inch Nails. And Johnny Cash did a version of it, much slower version of it. And in the video, there's footage of him as a young man. And there's footage of him as an old man sitting in his house, I guess, surrounded by trophies. And there's a line in the song where he says, you know, he talks about my empire of dirt. And he's like pouring dirt out of some award he's won. And I think he's recognizing his own life. These awards were nice at the time, but now at the end of my life, I don't know what they mean, but I think he would say the relationships I had with people and how I treated people, whether on my team or my family or my friends or whatever, they're going to remember that. No one's going to remember these gold trinkets that, you know, when I'm gone, won't mean anything. And so I, that whole like live like you got nothing to prove, if you can do that and practice that. I think it's contagious and it rubs off on people around you because then you don't really care about who gets credit, right? Your team can get credit because you don't care. 
and you're quick to recognize people when they've done a good job and you're quick to thank them publicly and you're quick to point out how great they're doing. And that kind of thing, I think, is more important than awards. And so I'm not always perfect at any of this. Believe me, I have my days uh, where I go home like, what the heck did I do today? But um, I think if I strive to do that in such a way that the, the team feels like I got their back, I recognize when they do good work. And I think because of that, they want to be around here. That's what I try to do. And the last thing I'll say is I would love for our team, I've told them this before, you know, let's say you got a great head coach in the NFL or on a volleyball team or whatever. When that coach accomplishes a lot or the team accomplishes a lot, people come and pick off the assistant coaches, right? I'm not a Patriots fan per se, but Bill Belichick has coaches all over the league because he has a lot of success and people say, well, I'm going to go pick off their assistants. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I would love for members of our team to get picked off over the years because they're doing great work and they're going on to bigger and better things, right? I wouldn't want to hold them back. Most of them have jobs right now in our institute. That's not the last job they'll ever have, but I want them to leave because something bigger and greater and something awesome has happened because we helped facilitate that. And so you almost have a coaching tree of your team that's spread out maybe all over the country. You can say, oh, yeah, we used to work at Novant Institute of Safety and Quality. That's where I got my start and I learned a ton. And then I went on to this thing over here because I would love to, in my retirement days, be sitting on a pier somewhere fishing and having people that worked for me calling me going, hey, what do I do about this? And I'll say, I don't know. You're screwed. <laughs> I'm, I'm retired. Good luck. To you. No, I'd like them to call and say, I really appreciate it. That was such a great time and, and you helped facilitate that. So I think thinking like that too, where is my team going? And maybe they're staying there forever. That may be their calling and they want that position forever, but there'll be others who want to do other things. And why not? Why would we help them do that, whether at Novon or elsewhere, if it's, it's really what they're pursuing? So I, I try to have that kind of attitude too, that let me support you and, and help you get where you want to go. What a great approach to support our team members in getting to where they want to be, whether that's in the leadership role themselves or continuing a great career here at, at Novant Health. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Novant is, is so big. There's often those opportunities here, right? They're within the organization. And um, I love seeing that. Hey, I'm going to go over here in this other part of Novant because it really speaks to my interests and my skill set. And yeah, absolutely. Let, let's make that happen. It's really It's really fun to see that. We're talking about zigzag career growth, so you, you don't have to leave to lead. Yeah, <laughs> there's the official PC people and culture term, right? That I didn't know. Okay. That you zigzag. Know. Zigzag. <laughs> well, Dr. David Priest, I'd like to thank you again for being our inaugural guest. Thank you so much for your, your wisdom and your perspective on leadership and on leading change. Great, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Make sure to look out for future episodes of Talent Talk, where you typically listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. And until next time, keep inspiring the talent around you.